And that's really what we sang about. I mean, consider those songs that we just sang. How can I keep from singing your praise? And then we sang about how indescribable God is, about how he is above all. So I just want to ask a question and throw it back. Last week, Mario talked about worship, and he looked about the whole attitude of worship. And an element of worship that you see in Scripture is using our voice to praise God. If you're a believer who would declare that, Lord, you are above all else, how can I keep from... I mean, and you're someone who shows up to a corporate gathering of worship and you don't engage, why not? What keeps you from singing the praises of God with everything you can? I'm just, I'm not comfortable with my voice. I've never been a fan. Okay, so your preferences are more important than declaring God's praises. We got to train ourselves. We got to flip our perspective. And I, I love the conversations that we're having and what we're seeing God do. And we're going to continue that this morning. We're nearing the end of this series on equipping, being equipped, a life of spiritual discipline. And this week we come to a, a discipline of giving, a discipline of stewardship. And we have two options when it comes to, right, let's, let's be honest, culturally we don't like to talk about anything financial. You realize there are some cultures around the world where you meet someone and the, first que- the second question you ask them after what do you do is how much do you make? Like you meet strangers. I learned this in international business, in international business class. We had to study the different business environments. And they were like, hey, if you're ever doing business, because we had connections with different companies and people interned in different countries. And they were like, look, here's a list of countries that if you meet someone, be prepared to tell them how much you make. And then they expect you to ask them as well. Right? Like how many of you was like, oh, hi, Joe. You know, my name is Sam. How much do you make? Be like, I'm never talking to that person again. So we have two options when it comes to topics that make us a little uncomfortable and awkward. We either avoid them or we say, well, what's the Bible say about them? And we have an honest biblical conversation. That's what we're going to do this morning. Before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are above all. We thank you that you are, at the end of the day, you are indescribable. We can talk about your omniscience, your omnipotence, your omnipresence. We can talk about your majesty, your glory. But at the end of the day, God, our words fall short because you are indescribable in your holiness, and we praise you for that. So, Father, retrain us. Teach us to make the switch. Teach us to recognize our propensity, our tendencies to avoid holiness, and train us to make the switch, to pursue holiness to pursue who you are with everything in us, to give you our all. As Phil shared, that when we see the king approaching us, our immediate response is to bow down and offer everything we have. Train us in this, Lord. We want to see you magnified. May it never be about us. May this time not be about anything other than your goodness, your holiness, and your word. Teach us. Open our hearts. Open our ears. Make us more like Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So remember when we did the week on Scripture? Am I disciplined with Scripture? And we all said out loud, hopefully you participated. If you didn't, that's on you. But most of us said out loud, this is my name. I do not know everything. There's no shame in admitting that. There's no shame in asking for help. You've heard me say numerous times, I think we've taken a lot of what's very simple in Scripture and we've overcomplicated it. I think Scripture in the whole is a very simple book. 
I think God lays it out plainly for us. But I think there are some areas that are actually complicated and we've oversimplified them because that makes it easier on us. And honestly, I think giving is one of those things that's maybe more complicated than we may think, but we've made it oversimplified. And so I want to acknowledge that. I want to make sure that we respect that there are things in Scripture that are, okay, i got to chew on that. Hmm, yeah, what does that mean? And we can wrestle through these things together and look at them. So the first thing I want to look at, when you hear giving, what does our mind go to? Tithing. The church does not agree on tithing. Christians do not agree on tithing. I say that because if you look at studies, and I looked at some depressing studies this past week, but if you look at reports on the Christian's perspective on giving, the most optimistic report I found was 25% of regular church-attending, Bible-believing, Jesus-proclaiming Christians, 25% tithe. That was the most optimistic number. I saw several reports based on studies, based on data, that said, ads eh, probably closer to 10% tithe. 37% of evangelical weekly attending church Christians don't give it all to the church. So we very clearly, as a collective group, do not agree on our approach to this. We may say we do, but our behavior does not bear that out. So it got me thinking, okay, then we need to make sure we're looking at this and we're saying, what is unclear and what is clear? And the first thing that I want to present that I was wrestling with this week, that I, I mean, I have my opinion, I'll share it with you guys, but I want to share everything with you guys and leave it up to you to figure out, okay, where do I stand on this? Is I don't think tithing is as clear cut as we may make it. Because there are some people who make it very, very like, nope, tithing is absolutely the law. Okay, great. What's tithing? 10%. 10% is the law. Okay. Leviticus 27 talks about to the people, it commands them, hey, here's how you are to handle the tithe of your produce and fields, and here's how you are to handle the tithe of your herds and flocks. This would have been written to an audience of people who a large number of them would have had both fields and produce and herds and flocks. So is this two separate tithes that add up to 20% and the people were supposed to give closer to 20% than 10%? Or is this like, you know, take 7% from your fields and 3% from your herds and that adds up to 10%? Honestly, I don't think the passage is explicitly clear on if it's a, you know, add up to 10 or if it's two separate increments of 10. So if I'm going to say, no, that tithing, we have to obey tithing, okay, well, I can point to Old Testament passages that suggest all of the tithes may have added up closer to 30% than 10%. Because you also had tithes of festivals and tithes for the sojourners. So before we say that, yes, tithing is the law, it is 10%, say, well, am I prepared to accept the fact that tithing in total might be closer to 20% and 30%, and that's what I'm to really give? Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14. The absolute, I mean, in multiple passages, tithes were meant to provide for the priests, the widows, and the orphans. That was the absolute priority of tithing. And then next, after that, you also had for festivals, for when, when the whole of Israel would gather together and there would be these special events, tithes were used to provide for that. When the Israelites first erected the tabernacle, God's place of worship, his house of worship where they would gather, that did not come from the tithe. When, when they built the temple, that did not come from the tithe. 
When they rebuilt the temple, that did not come from the tithe. The tithe, I, I couldn't find anywhere in Scripture where the tithe was used for the day-in, day-out maintenance of the property in the building. So if we're going to say that, no, the Old Testament tithing law is absolutely 100% the same law today, okay. Are we prepared to say then from our church budget it cannot go towards the utility bills? That has to be extra if you want to keep the lights on. We have to ask these questions because I don't think it's explicitly clear, and that's okay. It's okay to wrestle through these things and ask these questions. Are we using the absolute main focus of our tithing, our giving, to provide for orphans? I mean, if we're going to say that, then okay, then we have to ask, am I following all of the law? One of Jesus' criticisms that he levied against the Pharisees was, you pick and choose which parts of the law you want to follow. So we have to ask ourselves, if I want to say, no, tithing, 10%, it is the law. Okay, well, then am I also prepared to follow the law that it needs to go to orphans before it goes to the physical building? Or are we going to pick and choose which part of tithe law we want to follow? It's okay to wrestle with these things. I read biblical scholars who disagree on this, and they made a biblical case for this is my position, right? And so now that's the one side, right? And now maybe some of us are sitting here and we're thinking, we're like, yeah, exactly. That's why I don't subscribe to tithing as law. It's an Old Testament thing. Tithing is an Old Testament law for the Jewish people at that time. How many times did the New Testament writers say, hey, Gentile believers are not under Jewish law? Okay. That's, that's a fine question. You can ask that. We can wrestle through these things. But then you have to ask this question, if we're really going to be fair, do I really want to open up that rabbit trail of just because something is explicitly not in the New Testament, it does not have relevance in my life? Because we take principles and we extrapolate. And what I mean by that, you have to be very, 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 very careful with this. But what I mean by that is, I'm going to use a bit of an adult word. Pornography is not mentioned in the New Testament. Now, you see biblical lessons on purity, on guarding your eyes, on guarding your mind, so I think it is absolutely fair to say the Bible deals with this. But if I really am going to go down that rabbit trail of, well, unless something is explicitly printed in the New Testament, it does not apply, that's a dangerous slope I don't want to go near. And... This wasn't the approach of the early church. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, first and second Timothy was Paul writing to Timothy saying, hey, as a church leader, here's how you are to lead the church well. Here's what the church should look like. And Paul references two separate Old Testament passages on financial behavior and responsibility in terms of this is how the church should behave today. So when Paul and Timothy, when the apostles are setting up the New Testament church under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, We've been reading 1st and 2nd Peter. You guys should have read, I think, four times by now, the passage where it says, no prophecy ever came about except by God. Scripture is breathed out by God. So when Paul wrote to Timothy, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit had no problem telling the New Testament church, hey, these Old Testament passages should inform your behavior today. So can we really be so quick to throw tithing out just because it's in the Old Testament? These are questions. Like I said, maybe it's not as simple as we've made it out to be. Maybe it's possible that there are people with differing opinions on this, each doing their best to approach it from a biblical perspective. It's fair. 
Now, my, per my perspective, my personal opinion, I think tithing is absolutely a biblical principle, still relevant and applicable in the life of a believer today. Absolutely. I accept that there are people who genuinely love Jesus who disagree with me. And they can point to some of those questions and say, well, this is why, you know, I maybe am not so sure it's a 10%, you know what I mean? Like, maybe, and so then it, it leads me to, okay, so if this is convoluted, if this is maybe more complicated than we want it to be, or than we maybe originally thought it was, what do we do? Well, we look at what's uncomplicated. One of the principles of hermeneutics, hermeneutics is a fancy word for studying the Bible, studying theology. One of the principles is you interpret what is vague in light of what is clear, right? If there's a passage that's maybe kind of confusing, you say, okay, what else does the Bible say about this idea that is not confusing? So in this case, when we're considering a discipline of giving, a discipline of stewardship, maybe tithing is a little bit more, you know, nuanced than we thought. So what is clear? What should inform our approach to giving, our discipline of giving? And that is where I think the Bible is explicitly clear, and that's what I want to look at to make sure. Because here's the thing, if we tie tithing to a hard number, it's so easy to cross into legalism. Or not tithing, I'm sorry. Tithing is 10%. That's just straight math. So if someone's like, oh, well, I tithe 5%, well, that's literally not possible. Sam, raise both hands. No, I said both hands. Yeah, I'm doing it. You, you can't tithe anything other than 10%. So when we're looking at giving, well, my question that I arrived at is, okay, what is biblically crystal clear on a perspective of giving? And let's allow that to inform us. And the first thing that we see, which is what Phil talked about, what the song sang about, that discipline in giving requires an eternal mindset. Consider these passages. Proverbs 38 through 9, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. I've known people who had way more than most who loved money. I know people who had way less than most who loved money. This is not a quantity thing. This is a heart thing. Ecclesiastes says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then this parable that Jesus gives in Luke 12, Luke 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide that inheritance with me. But he said to them, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You've got someone with, the brother with the inheritance. Then you have someone without, the brother without the inheritance. And the person without is like, hey, make that person share their stuff with me. I have less. I deserve what they have. And Jesus says, whoa. You got to watch that covetous heart. That's an issue. And then he goes on and he talks about the flip side of that perspective. 
And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's like, hey, I'm doing well. I'm making good money. My income's excellent. I'm going to start three different IRAs. I'm going to invest in the stock market. Man, look at my retirement portfolio. Look at my investments. Look at how much I've stored up. Like, I am good. I have security in this. This is going well. This lifestyle of pursuing an acclimation or an accumulation, this is working out well for me. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The first thing we see when approaching a discipline of giving is that we've got to be looking at eternity. When we consider what we have, if we're not looking at it through the lens of eternity, we've missed the point entirely. Jesus calls out the temporary coveter. He calls out the long-term coveter. The point in Scripture is clear is that, no, our perspective must be built on the kingdom of heaven, built on looking at eternity, not the temporary. What did it say in Proverbs? Look, I don't want to be rich or poor. I want enough for today. Because on either side, there's danger. There's danger of my heart turning from you. Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he said, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We've got to be eternity-minded when we consider a discipline of giving. And that leads right into none of what we have is ours. How many have a car? How many people came in a car this morning? Hands up. Car? Wow, a lot of you walked in this cold. I'm really sorry about that. Okay, so we've got a number of us with car. How many of you created the chemical process of metals fusing together with welding? How many of you created the minerals that enable metal to be produced? How many of you created the substances that came together? I don't understand science. There are atoms involved somewhere, right? So I'm just I'm speaking very generically. How many of you created the materials that formed rubber so your car could have tight? What's the point? This isn't your car. Yeah, I bought it with my money. Okay, money. How many of you created the ink that puts the dye onto money? How many of you created the cloth and the fibers that create the bills for money? None of us. No, you have a car because God is loaning you a car. You have a home because God is loaning you a home. No, I built it. Oh, you did? You grew the tree? No. Whatever we have, we have because God has said, hey, steward, I will entrust you with this for a time being. So the question is, are we good stewards? Do we have an eternal mindset? Do we realize that none of this is ours? 1 Chronicles 29, 12 through 14, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. Listen to what David says. He's talking about they're they're prepping for the temple. They're prepping for this incredible project to celebrate God's glory. And David has asked the people to give towards this. 
And in front of the people, David says this. He says, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything in the existing world is God's. Carl Sagan once quipped, and I don't think Carl Sagan was a believer by any means, but Carl Sagan once quipped that in order to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Because all you're doing otherwise is playing building blocks with what God has already made. The fullness of the earth is the Lord's. We don't own a thing. It's not mine. Kyle Eidelman in his book, God's at War, says, when we start to see all of our resources at God's, it helps us develop an attitude of gratitude, Leanna's point, that leads us to a heart of worship. How did Mario define worship for us last week? Based on Scripture, I mean, unpacked a biblical definition of worship and demonstrated from us from God's Word that worship is undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion. I mean, think about that. My home will be undividedly devoted to the Lord. My car, my time, my clothes, my food, my skills, my talents, my abilities. Undivided devotion to the Lord. This is an eternal mindset. This is what is absolutely necessary to pursue a discipline of giving. If we don't have this mindset, we, man, we're going in the wrong direction. So maybe we need to start with this mindset. Lord, teach me to think eternally. Teach me to recognize that what I have is really yours. Maybe it needs to begin there. And then there's some other things we see about giving and the idea of giving and the concept of giving. Very stark biblical truth. We do not all have the same. We don't. We don't have uniformly. We're not meant to. Exodus 35, 21. Exodus 35, starting in verse 21. This is Moses. He's like, hey, we need to build the tabernacle. Again, this incredible, beautiful project for the worship of God. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meetings and for all of its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair, tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's contribution. Everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet and yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. What did that passage say? Did that passage say every single person brought silver? Every single person brought acacia wood? No, it said, look, those who had silver brought the silver. Those who had the wood, they brought the wood. Those who had the fine stones, brought the fine stones. We don't have uniformly. That's okay. We're missing the point if that's what we're setting our focus on, if that's what we're spending our energy on. Deuteronomy 16, 17, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. 
as he is able, according to what God has given you. We're meant to give from what we do have of our own free will, not under obligation, not under fine if it'll get Sam to stop talking. No, it's I want to do this because this is God's and he has given me an opportunity to use it for his glory. So I'm going to bring what I do have. we got to stop comparing ourselves to one another. We, we just have to. I don't have as much as so. Yeah, and you know what? You have more than somebody else. I mean, somewhere in the world is the single richest individual, and somewhere in the world is the single poorest individual. Math dictates that. I'm going to guess that neither of those two people are in this body. So someone in this body probably has more than you. Someone in this body probably has less than you. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Ask, okay, God, this is what you have given me. How can I use it for your glory? How can I return what is rightfully yours to you? This is an eternal mindset that is necessary for a discipline of giving. And then when we have this mindset, we're at a place, I've got the mindset, I understand that I don't have what other people have, and that's okay, that I'm meant to use what I do have then what is required of our giving? Well, the first thing I see that is absolutely required of our giving is we're called to give our best. Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. They both made an offering to the Lord. God was pleased with one of them and displeased with the other one. Why? Because one said, hey, Lord, I give you my best. And the other one said, uh, here's what's in my pocket. You want that? Cain and Abel demonstrate that we are called to give our best. 2 Chronicles 31, 4 through 5, And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. First fruits, first fruits, first fruits. And what they mean by that is your best. I've got a bushel of apples that's beautiful and, you know, great red color, rich, crisp, fresh, sweet. The greatest apples you've ever seen. I've got a bushel of apples that are, they're the ones that fell and kind of got stepped on by the horse and they're a little bruised and mushy and mealwormy. Okay, Chuck those aside. Give God your best. It's biblically undeniable, my conviction, that we are called to give God our best. Not second, not third, our first, our best. What else? We're called to give sacrificially and generously. Mark 12, 41 through 44, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 2 Corinthians 8 1 through 7 and 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 14. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Wow, grace of God has been given to the churches. This is a big thing. I wonder what that looks like. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, I mean, he doesn't just say poverty, he says, in their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." This act of grace that led to generosity of the heart. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. We're called to give generously and sacrificially. And you can't put a number on that. Joe, what's a, what's a big financial sum? $40,000. I agree. That's a big financial sum. If anybody wants to give $40,000, we're okay with that. $40,000. That is generous. All right. That's our boom. Community Bible Church. Generosity is defined as $40,000. Hey, family, your income is $60,000 and you guys went crazy and you gave $39,000 this year. Sorry, you're just not generous because we define generous as $40,000. We, we put this number on it. That's what generosity is. No, generosity is the heart. Generosity does not measure the quantity of the gift. Generosity measures the quality of the heart. Generosity measures the attitude of the person behind the gift. Jesus looked at all these people giving massive sums of money, and then he looked at a widow who put in two small coins, and he was like, yeah, she, she gets it. Give like her. It's biblically clear that we're called to give sacrificially and generously. So once again, going back to the comparison game, it's not, am I giving more than somebody else? Am I giving less than somebody else? It's, am I giving generously? And I think there's a fear why maybe the large church, big picture church, has stuck to tithing, right? Like, no, you've got to give 10%. Because there's a fear that if we don't mandate 10%, people will give less. What if people give more? What if a family looks at their income and says, yeah, you know what, 10% for us, that's, that's not generous. We could give 10% and not bat an eye. So we'll give more because we're pursuing giving generously rather than just aiming at a number. Our hearts must be generous, understanding that it's all God and we have the opportunity to return it to Him. It's when you see these, these professional sports teams we gave $50,000 to end hunger in our city. That's awesome. I mean, that's genuinely awesome, right? 
But then you look at the Forbes report that they were worth 11 billion last year. And you realize that them giving 50,000 is like if I drop $2 in the Salvation Army kettle. Okay, so I skipped Starbucks one day. You can't call that generous. Generosity reflects our heart. So when we approach a discipline of giving, we have to ask, where is our heart in this? The other thing we're called to give that you actually saw in one of the passages in Corinthians, we're called to give joyfully. 1 Chronicles 29, 9 and 17, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. So 1 Chronicles 29, we were looking at David calling them to build the temple and all the people came and they gave to the temple. Then how's that conclude? It says, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. David says, praying to God, praising God, he says, I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. How would you feel? It's your anniversary, it's Christmas, your birthday, pick a holiday. You get a gift from a loved one. You open it, you're like, wow, this is so special. My wife, my spouse, my friend, my child, they just got me a gift. Oh, there's a card with it. I wonder what the card says. You open the card, you're all excited, and it says, fine. I know I'm supposed to do this. Take it, and now what are you going to give me? How many of you are like, oh, that would be my favorite birthday? When my loved one was like, look, I'm just doing this out of obligation. And because I expect you to do something nice for me now. So do you see what I got you? Come on, pay up. You would, you would be devastated if you got that card. Guys, giving is not some magical way to manipulate God. Well, if I give an extra $1,000, then God owes me two extra answered prayers this year. Well, if I do this, right, you hear, oh, boy. I listened to some really bad stuff this week that made me very angry. If you hear the phrase, you know, sow a faith seed, just unlock. The moment you hear unlock associated with giving, start going the other way. Well, look, if you give, if you give towards our building project, you can unlock extra blessings in your life. Just, just sow a faith seed and watch it grow into a raise at work. Get that garbage out of here. Giving is not some way to force God's hand. Giving is not some barter system where we can say, okay, God, I did this, now you owe me this. Giving is done joyfully, sacrificially, generously, regardless of the outcome. Well, what, I'll, I'll give extra and then I'll get a raise at work. What if you don't? Give because it's what God calls you to do. Not because you're trying to produce some outcome. The outcome that we need to be pursuing is our holiness. The outcome that we need to be pursuing is our sanctification. When it talks about those who are blessed, I will be, you'll be enriched to be even more generous. What if that enrichment is a greater sense of contentment? What if that enrichment is a greater sense of peace? What if that enrichment is a greater sense of dependability on the Lord? That's the enrichment that we should care about. Not, all right, I'll do this, so then God owes me this. That's not joyful giving. That's not willful giving. That's not generous, sacrificial giving. These are the things that are biblically unavoidable when you look at giving. And so then we consider the practicality of giving. And we tend to go right towards money. But I want to talk about time, money, and just assets. 
Are you, uh, hands up, morning person. You are better in the morning. All right, hands up, evening person. You're better in the evening. Okay? When's God get your time? Oh, I'm a morning person. I could wake up at 4.30 and I'm ready to go. You hit 9 o'clock at night and I'm, I'm the walking dead. Okay, so when do you spend time in Scripture? Oh, like 10.30 in bed, right? Like, in the beginning was the word. Okay, I just, I got to make myself read one sentence and then I can say I've read the Bible today. Is God getting your first fruits of time? Is God getting the best of your time? People are like, yeah, I, I spent, you know, like I spent three minutes with God today at the start of my day and my day was great. And it's like, man, I wonder how good your day would be if you spent six minutes with God. Again, it's not a quantity of thing, right, where there's this magical, oh, you only spent 10 minutes in the Bible? I spent 11 minutes. No. It's what's the quality. Is he getting your best? Is he getting your undivided devotion in this time? Are you giving it to him generously, joyfully? Are there whole seasons we withdraw from the body? We've looked at this series. We've looked at a spiritual discipline of Scripture, of prayer, and with both of them, we've demonstrated that they are meant to be engaged in corporately. We've looked at fellowship. We've looked at serving. We've looked at biblically that they are meant to be engaged in corporately. This is commanded of the church. You know what it will require you to actually pursue that discipline? Time. You can say you believe in the discipline of fellowship, but if you're not willing to give the two hours to have a family over to your house and hang out with them, what are you doing to actually pursue it? If we're not, Lord, Lord, you are Lord, everything I have is yours except my calendar. That's mine. My day-to-day schedule, that's all me. But you get everything else. Are we disciplined in giving God our time? To pursue these things will require that we are. I said to somebody one time, they got very offended. It was a good friend, so it was kind of okay. I was like, man, we've missed you at Bible studies, men's events, women's events. I mean, like, we, we have missed you in the life of this church. Like, yeah, we're just really busy. And I was like, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'll, I'll pray that things get better. And he said what I think is one of the dumbest sentences any of us say. And I've heard this sentence a million times. Oh, no, no, it's the good kind of busy. We're the good kind. Be honest. Have you ever thought, oh, no, it's okay. It's the good kind of busy. Man, brother, brother, you just told me that you didn't engage with the body of Christ for three months. I will never use the word good to describe that. Does God get the best first fruits, generous supply of our time? Does his ministry, does his kingdom, or are we trying to find whatever leftover time we have? And here, God, take that. I can get you three minutes on Thursday if that works for you. Practically, look at your calendar. Look at your day. Does God get your time? And then resources, right? We looked at those stats at the beginning. So when you're looking at the practicality of giving of resources and money, there's different levels. Maybe you're part of that 30% who gives nothing. Start. A dollar, five dollars, whatever. Start. Maybe you give, but you're not tithing. Okay, that's a great goal, right? Like, hey, let's sit down. Let's as a family see how we can give more. Maybe you're tithing and that's not generous. So maybe it's okay. Let's see how we can give more. 
Let's not pursue an arbitrary number. Let's pursue, and I don't say arbitrary number, tithing 10% is biblical, okay? That's, that's a biblical principle. But what I mean by arbitrary number is when we, we impose these limits on ourselves that really aren't generous, really aren't joyful, really aren't willful. I knew this was a tough topic that people were going to have opinions on. So I was talking to my mentors this week. And the one guy said, and I thought this was great, he was like, yeah, I think tithing is a biblical principle. My wife and I have always viewed it as the floor, not the ceiling. And there are times where we are strapped and we are barely making that 10%. But then there are times where God is good and we can go over that. So wherever you are giving, I don't know where you are. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who gives. I don't know how much people give. You could be here. I could talk to you every single week and you've never once given a cent. I have no clue. You could be here and you could be our most generous giver. I have no clue. So this is between you and God. Lord, am I generous? Am I joyful? Am I willful? Am I disciplined in giving you my resources? And then beyond money, what do you have that you can use? George and Jim plow. Those are not the church's trucks. Those are not the church's tires. That's not the church's gas in those gas tanks. That's not the mile. I mean, they're putting mileage on their own vehicles to give. We have people who bring other people to church. That's giving. Every Bible study we've offered, every women's event we've offered, we say, hey, if you can't drive at night, if you can't drive in bad weather, if you can't physically get here, let us know and we will get you here. Why? Because we have people who have said, hey, I'm willing to give 20 minutes of my time. I'm willing to give my passenger seat to bring someone to church. That's a way to give. Start looking at all of your resources, your home. High school was one of the best times of evangelism for me. You know, one of the best tools that opened up so many doors for conversations about Jesus was my parents' home because they made it available to us and our friends whenever we wanted it. They deliberately looked for a home that could be a space where kids would feel welcome and loved. I mean, I can't tell you how many friends I shared Jesus with because the conversation started with, man, I really like going to your house. I don't know why but I just, I like being at your house. Parents, are your kids inviting their friends to your house? Is your house available to your kids and their friends? You want to raise kids who become adults who evangelize? Teach them to do it as a child. You want to raise kids who become adults who are generous? Teach them to do it as a child. If your kids aren't using your home to be an opportunity to present the light of the world to people, start using that asset. Start using that resource, your talents, what you're good at. How can I use it for God? These are the questions that drive an eternally minded heart. Everything I have is the Lord's. How can I use it for him? This is the discipline of giving. This is what we're called to. So this week, let's all read 2 Corinthians 8 and then just do some self-evaluation. Do I give my time and resources from my best? Do I give my time and resources generously? Do I give my time and resources joyfully? Prayer ideas, simple. Praise God for His faithfulness. Throughout history, as a reminder, if you're struggling with giving today, look back at how God has provided in the past. Read about how God has provided for His people from the beginning of time. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Ask Him for a generous heart. Ask Him for a heart that loves to give joyfully. Ask him for opportunities to return what's his back to him.
This is a discipline of stewardship. This is part of pursuing holiness. The question is not, am I giving more than so-and-so? The question is, am I giving generously? Am I giving joyfully? Am I giving willfully? And am I giving my best? If we can answer those things, yes, we're disciplined. We have things to pursue. Let's pursue them. Please join me in prayer. There won't be a closing song. We're going to pray. We're going to have a time of quiet reflection. And then afterwards, for anybody interested in being part of the church prayer ministry, we're just going to meet up here in the corner for like five minutes. But please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for how richly you have given to us. Thank you for how you have provided for us. Like Paul wrote in his letter, thank you that we can be content in little or in a lot because it's about you. Thank you for the strength to follow you. Wherever we are, God, just, just draw us closer to you. If this is an area we struggle with, just give us courage, give us encouragement. If this is terrifying, Lord, would you remove that fear? And we're not talking about financial blessings, God, but as people give from their heart, would you bless them with a deeper faith? Use everything to draw us closer to Jesus as we use everything for Jesus' glory and his kingdom. And so now we just take a few moments to quietly pray and reflect.